I think of someone's career as a relay race and maybe the baton's about to be passed to me. And I, as a leader, have work to do to support them for this leg. And I'm trying to get a sense of what are they going to need from me in this leg so that they can continue on when they're not going to be at the crew forever. You know, whatever they want to do next, we've done our job at the crew to position them to be able to do that. If you want something that you've never had before, you'll have to do something you've never done before in order to get it. This is the mantra that guides Tiffany Dufo in everything she does. Being one of 94 Black women founders to raise over a million dollars in venture capital, Tiffany's primary goal is to advance women and girls. She founded a peer coaching company for women, has helped launch a girls' middle school, run a national women's leadership organization, and served as an executive at a technology company that arms millennial women professionals with the tools they need to be successful. As founder and CEO of membership community, The Crew, Tiffany helps a diverse group of mid-level and senior professionals find their inspiration and accountability partners. You're about to hear how Tiffany and her team are bringing her mission to life. Coming up, how Tiffany and her team are harnessing the power of women and girls' ingenuity and creativity for the benefit of everyone. Why she's obsessed with understanding what matters most to women. The importance of finding your crew to help realize your life goals. How the power of positive affirmations can fuel your mission. And finally, Tiffany shares her lessons learned in positioning herself as a thought leader. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Tiffany, I am so excited to sit down with you and have this conversation today. This episode and recording has been a long time coming. We connected, I feel like it was back at the beginning of this year, at the beginning of 2021, right? It was. It was at the, when we all still felt and thought and were sure that with a vaccine, we would be partying by now. Yes. Well, we finally made it happen. We're here on Zoom recording and you know, we both just have a similar mission and passion for helping women. And there's nothing I love more than talking with other women who have the same mission because I've learned and, you know, we've chatted about this before, like the more you can partner together and help each other and lift each other up, the, the more impact we can make. So I can't wait to hear all about your story and journey today. I feel the exact same way. My life's work is advancing women and girls. And Stephanie, I just so appreciate your commitment to advancing women and not just through your words, but through your platform, through your community, through this podcast. It's just really amazing to be in the company of someone who's putting their resources where their beliefs are. Well, we'll right back at you. So you know, you are now the founder of The Crew, this incredible platform for women, but I want to, you know, go back a few years and hear about your career journey first that led you to then launch The Crew. Absolutely. Well, it's a long tale. The short of it is that every job that I've had, every dollar I've donated, every board I've ever sat on, every 
Facebook, I've written or contributed to every article, every social media post, except for some cute ones where I'm just bragging about my kids because <laughs> I think they're amazing, uh, has been focused on really trying to solve one challenge, which is how do we harness women and girls power and ingenuity and creativity for the benefit of all of us. Before the crew, I spent four years at a technology startup called Lavo that was very focused on millennial women and helping them to elevate their careers. Before that, I was on the launch team for Lean In and was a big proponent of Lean In Circles. That was a movement started by Sheryl Sandberg at Facebook. Before that, I ran a national women's leadership organization called the White House Project. We trained women to run for political office. Before that, I raised money for Simmons University, which is a women's college in Boston. I'm now on the board. Before that, I helped to start a girls' middle school uh, in my hometown of Seattle focused on math, science, and technology. Literally, when I say every job has been focused on how do we solve this issue has been important to me. The experience that most ladders up to the crew, though, has to do with another part of my life that is really dear to me, which is just having conversations with women and listening to their stories. Since the end of 2011, beginning of 2012, I've pretty much said yes to every woman that reaches out to me. I usually meet women on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9, 10, and 11 a.m., so I meet with six or seven a week. And I'm obsessed with understanding our stories, what matters most to us and how that's informed where we've been and where we're going. And one of the observations that I've made, I've made several, some have led to books, some have led to other platforms, but the one that's led to the crew is this observation that even though we have a lot of people around us, Stephanie, our family, our friends, our coworkers, we psychologically often perceive our journey as if it's a solo endeavor, not a team sport. Meaning when we have a problem, the first question we often ask ourselves is, how am I going to solve this problem? How am I going to build my audience? How am I going to raise this money? How am I going to acquire more customers? When I think the more important question for all of us to ask is, who's going to help me solve this problem? Who's going to help me acquire more customers? Who's going to help me raise this money? And so when I would ask women about, who are you sharing this with? Who's holding you accountable to your ambition? More often than not, I would get either no one or when I would share with them that I have a crew and I would explain how it works. We meet on a monthly basis. This is who's in my crew. They hold my feet to the fire. They would say, well, that's amazing for you, but I don't know where to find this amazing group of people that you're talking about. And so I decided that instead of preaching to women about how they need to find their crew, I should stop doing that and I should just start finding the crew for them. So that's, that's basically the nugget of the crew. We basically match women in accountability circles to help them realize their life goals. I'd love to hear how you went about starting this business. So you have this moment and you're like, wait a second, I'm telling everyone to do this. I need to help everyone actually do this and make it happen. So now you have this idea to turn this into an actual business. What, what, what were some of the first steps that you took and you know, what did you learn along the way, especially in that first year in the early days? Yes. So I trust women as people, as consumers. So to me, the first step in launching something like The Crew is to just launch it. Uh, and I say that because I interact with a lot of women who are making business plans and are thinking about things and are trying to decide which way they're going to go. I just went. 
So I, I had some fundamentals based on my past experience. Um, one is that I knew that I wasn't going to going to be able to match women all by myself, that we would eventually need to build some type of technology. And so we need some, some kind of application process. So I just used SurveyMonkey, reached out to one of my friends who's a behavioral psychologist to find out what kind of questions I should put in this application. And I also knew that I would need a call to action. So I created a video, literally. I was just sitting on my couch, had a friend create a video of me saying, hi, I'm Tiffany Dufu. I've done a lot of great stuff. I'm smart and I work hard, but the secret to my success is my crew. Here's what they do for me. If you need something like this, just let me know and click apply. The apply button went to a splash page. So I had a friend who helped me to create that. And the one expense that I did make was eventually hiring a designer who designed this logo that's on my t-shirt that says the crew, every woman needs one. And the hardest part of launching was actually getting a photograph of my own crew because everybody's so busy that to get them in one place at one time to take a picture, because I wanted to show the women who would apply what a crew actually looks like, um, was the hardest part. I think I made up a price point for an annual membership to this thing called the crew. And I pushed it out on social. I posted it to Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. I think I forgot to post it on Insta that day. And I did make a few assumptions. One was that I would to interview people. So I told everyone who applied that I would spend 20 minutes interviewing them and that there were some factors that would go into the matching along your, your personality, your values. Outside of that, that's all I did because I wanted to see whether or not it would be sticky. Do women really want this? And I didn't know until I put it out there into the world. And it turned out that they did. Uh, and it was quite overwhelming. We got hundreds of women applying to the crew. And my first problem was, how am I now going to interview hundreds yeah. of women? <laughs> so you had what we like to call good business problems, yeah. right, right off the bat. Yeah. And I feel like when you launch any startup, people always say, you know, just do things that are not scalable to start. Like that's how you'll learn. And then you'll figure out how to scale it later, but that's how you're going to learn all of that information and collect that initial data. And exactly what you said, like, just start. If you have an idea, don't be scared to put that idea out there that, you know, people are going to steal it. It's all about the execution. So that's yes. how you're going to get that, that advice and, and that feedback. So I love that you, you know, just took the leap in and started. So now you have good business problems. You get all of these responses from people and, you know, you already had a platform. So you already had a, you know, a following on social media, correct? When you first launched this? Yes. I did have a bit of a following uh, in part because, well, first of all, I'm an evangelist for women and girls. So I have a public speaking practice and I also am a writer. I was the author of a book called Drop the Ball, Achieving More by Doing Less. And so a lot of People had read that book. So, you know, I wasn't Kim Kardashian. I mean, <laughs> I wasn't you, Stephanie, to, uh, to be honest, I didn't have that kind of following. But I had enough that if the story, if, if the value proposition of us taking the work out of networking appealed to you, that you might have spread it, you know, and shared that video with someone else. And that generated enough leads that we got enough traction to get off the ground. Can you share a little bit about how, you know, prior to this launch, you know, with your public speaking career, like you were able to position yourself as 
a thought leader, like by writing your book and on social, like what are some learning lessons from that process? Because I know a lot of our, our entrepreneurs do want to position themselves as thought leaders in the industry that they're in, or, you know, just as entrepreneurs. And I always, the advice I always share with them is, you know, we're all reflection. Our personal brands are all a reflection also of our business. And, and you've definitely mastered that. I would love to hear some tips that, that you've learned along the way. I think the best tip that I have has to do with the source of your power and the source of your purpose. The most important thing I'd want people to know is that I wasn't masterminding a personal brand. I believe that our purpose is simply a commitment inspired by experiences. And the experience that ladders up to my purpose of advancing women and girls is very much connected to my mom, who found out she was pregnant with me when she was 19. My parents are from Watts, LA, and in the mid-1970s, it was a rough place. It was a rough time. My mom didn't know that much other than the environment that she saw around her, but she had an inkling that there was something more, something beyond what she could see. And she happened to have an uncle who was an army recruiter. So between the big uncle and my mom, my father was convinced to marry my mom and join the army. And I was born at Fort Lewis Army Base in Tacoma, Washington. My parents broke a very vicious cycle of poverty and addiction and violence in one generation based off of that move and taught me a very fundamental lesson, which is that if you want something you've never had before, you're going to have to do something you've never done before in order to get it. And one of the things that my parents did, and I'm sure they probably read it in some parenting book because they totally made up my bringing, was to use the power of affirmation to support us and to help us think of ourselves as larger than what we could see. And so every day when I was growing up, my mom would look at me in my eyes and she would say, Tiffany, you're so smart. You're so beautiful. You're so loved. It was quite annoying by the time I was 13 or 14 and just wanted bigger boobs (laughs) to be told this every day. But it stuck with me. And when my parents got divorced, they got divorced when I was 16. Unfortunately, kind of my first feminist flames began because I re- I learned in that experience that all of the social, political, economic capital that I thought was our families really was just our dad's because he had gone to college on the GI Bill. He had gotten a PhD in theology. He was the beacon in the community. He had the awards. And unfortunately, my mom, after the divorce, spun back into that very vicious cycle of poverty and addiction and violence with her second husband. I spent most of my 20s trying to save my mom before I came to the conclusion that anyone does, which is that you can't save anybody else. Each one of us is the most powerful change agent in our own journey. So every day, I'm just waking up, Stephanie, and I have been for over 20 years, just trying to get to as many women as I can and trying to whisper in their ear, you're so smart, you're so beautiful, you're so loved, you can do this. That's what I get up every day to do. And I've been consistent. And it's the consistency of my message and it's the source of my message and my commitment to it that allows people to recognize my authenticity and to believe me when I need to compel them to take action, whether that action is buying a book, whether that action is joining the crew, whether that action is investing in my company through writing a check, 
whether that action is opening a door for me or mentoring me or advising me. So I encourage everyone to start with what matters most to you? What, what is the source of your purpose and your power that is going to allow you to withstand all of the challenges that are going to come with entrepreneurship or starting a business or, or having a following? Because especially on social is what I would call accoutrements. That is the, that is the outgrowth. That's the lagging indicator of a person who is genuinely making an impact in the lives of people. So, you know, I would think about one, your highest and best use. Uh, I do have a public speaking practice. I also am a preacher's daughter. I also love the written word and I love communicating and I'm a very strong communicator. So if that's where you have strength, you should be a public speaker. It is a great way to earn a living and it's a great way to amplify a message, but that might not be your superpower. You know, what is your superpower? Really understanding that and having a level of awareness and tapping into that is so important because you can monetize so many aspects of a superpower. I personally can write a book, but I couldn't be a blogger, meaning I couldn't push out regular content in writing. I am much better at just sitting in front of the video camera, which is why I went to market with the crew the way that I did. So I think you kind of figure out what... Do you do extraordinarily well with very little effort combined with what are the things that you would, as a part of the thing, really should be delegating to other people in order to determine what are going to be your verticals to help you get something off of the ground? Because nothing is easy. Uh, nothing comes easy and things are very hard. And Stephanie, you know, you're an author, you know, you're a speaker, you know, you know, people want to write books, but selling a book is really difficult. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think the first though is trying to figure out what is your message? Who needs to hear your message and what gifts, talents, skills, abilities do you have that the world needs? And then figure out how you're going to monetize that. That is such great advice. And I feel like there's so much to unpack there from, from that story. And one thing I want to touch on is the power of positive affirmations. I am all about, you know, speaking things out loud and into the world. So when you speak things out loud, they can become a reality. And I'm, I'm already doing positive affirmations with my two-year-old and telling her these things because it is just so important. Like your brain, when you say things out loud, your brain learns those things. And even if you don't believe them at first, when you start repeating them and saying them over and over again, they become real and it becomes the reality. So I love that and love how, you know, your mom was doing that with you from the time you were little, because clearly it worked. <laughs> I think so. You know, we all have these voices in our heads. I think we should name them. I call mine Cynthia. Sorry if there are any Cynthia's out there, but that's what I call my name. And, you know, when that voice is saying you're crazy, you shouldn't do this, you should keep your day job, how are you going to pay the bills? Is anyone going to really want this? You know, it's really important to have an alternative voice in your head. And that's basically what my mom did. She created this alternative voice in my head that would say, Cynthia, you just sit up in my head eating nachos. You've never run a mile. You've never done anything. Be quiet. I'm smart. I'm beautiful. I'm loved. I can totally yes. do this. 
Stephanie, I'd love to hear about the process of building your team at the crew and, you know, how many employees do you have right now? And then we'll get into, you know, the whole hiring process and what's worked for you. Yes. Right now we're an early stage venture backed company at the crew. We have 11 employees and 10 contractors. Do you do all of the interviews? Are you part of the hiring process for every candidate? Right now, we're so small that I am. Uh, and I think that that's important in the very beginning in large part because culture is such an important part of building a business. And I haven't quite figured out how to completely bottle up what's most important. So I do like to speak to people. I mean, at the end of the day, we're looking for people who have a sense of humility, you know, who ask questions before they give answers, and people who have a real hunger for growth. Our mission is to help women realize their life intentions. And so having people who express the sense of just curiosity uh, and have even clarity about their own intentions and about how the crew can help them uh, as they work for the crew to realize that is really important to me. And so I like to spend time with people in the beginning and as a part of that process just to determine whether or not um, they can really help us take this to the next level. Are you doing all of your interviews right now remotely over Zoom? Yes, because that's the world that we're living in. Um, we did grow tremendously in the wake of, you know, the past year and a half. And I would say now most of our team does work remotely. I will say that even before uh, the pandemic, though, we were operating remotely. It, myself and our COO always like came to a location together and sat side by side and worked like physically together. But we have a customer success associate called a crew guide. Those were always remote. Our engineering team has always been remote. So it isn't too much of a departure now, the way that we're operating. What are some of the best practices and tips that have worked for you in terms of managing a team remotely? One is having regular check-ins. We do a daily huddle. I think it's critically important that you're basically checking in with everybody every day. We're small enough now that everybody can be in the same daily huddle. And we literally go through and everyone shares what is their top three priorities for the day. Where are they blocked where someone else could support them in getting unblocked? And we have a gratitude section where everyone shares something that at least one other person on the team has done to really help their job to be easier or to hit out of the ballpark. Ironically, that or beautifully, that section has gotten longer and longer. Um, so people take more time to give gratitude actually than they do <laughs> to share their top priorities. That's been really important. And I do ask for everyone's camera to be on because that's my way of visually just seeing, okay, her hair's still wet. So she had a rough morning. <laughs> okay, that looks like maybe his second cup of coffee he's probably had today, um, and it allows us to check in. The other thing that we use is a tool called Donut. It's a Slack integration that basically randomly matches you with members of your team for these little coffee donut chats where we don't allow one another to talk about work. So it's given us an opportunity to just get to know one another. And then once a quarter, we do step back a bit. Uh, and we call it, some people call it a team retreat or an offsite or an advance. We call ours a crew eclipse. And so we, we take a step back and we spend a lot of time virtually, but also trying to figure out how to engage with one another in our physical spaces. So we do lots of fun exercises. But I think that making sure that you're checking in with your team on a regular basis is really important. Do you have your team huddles first thing in the morning on Mondays? Have you found there's a good time for them? 
No, we do them midday because we have people in multiple time zones. So my morning is like way too early in the morning for the folks that are in, you know, Portland, Oregon or San Francisco. So we do them at 1145 p.m. Eastern because that allows people who are in the West to not have to get up so early. Totally makes sense. And now you have your digit cards that we sent you that you can yes, use with your team. They're awesome. Uh, and we, we use those. Um, time is an important part of our culture. We say that we honor time in the crew. So the virtual cards, there are the ones that say 10 minutes, five minutes, one minute. And so we tend to use those as well now. They're so awesome. Yeah, you have those in the in the digit cards. Pack, yeah. so, so good. Yay. So when you are interviewing on Zoom, it's different now from when back in the day, we used to be able to meet people in person and get a real sense for, for who the person is and how they show up on Zoom. It can, be a, it can definitely be a bit more challenging to really get to know your potential employees. So have you found you know, good ways to, to really get to know potential employees over these Zoom interviews and any particular questions that you, that you ask that really help? Yeah, I try to do everything I can to make people feel comfortable. So, you know, one of the most important things that you can do via Zoom is to turn off your self-view so that you're not looking at yourself (laughs) during it. I tend to try to encourage people to break out of the box. So, for example, I'll stand up during a Zoom interview instead of just like sitting on just to get my perspective. I always make sure that I have like a glass of water or a mug of something and I'm like sipping on something during it just to try to help them understand that like we're real people (laughs) and we can speak openly and honestly with one another. Some of the questions that I usually ask are around that person's journey and their own ambitions and where they're trying to go. I, I feel like and this is in large part because I've managed a lot of people in my career. I feel really lucky that I get to have someone for this moment. It, it's as if I think of someone's career as a relay race and maybe the baton's about to be passed to me. And I, as a leader, have work to do to support them for this leg. And I'm trying to get a sense of what are they going to need from me in this leg so that they can continue on when they're not going to be at the crew forever. You know, whatever they want to do next, we've done our job at the crew to position them to be able to do that. And I think it's important that people who are thinking about coming to the crew understand that that's the trajectory uh, and that that's what we're focused on and that that's what's important. I also love to ask people questions about failures that they've had in the past, lessons that they've learned. You know, I try to get a sense of how self-aware is someone? How vulnerable is someone? I try to gauge their level of ego. Uh, and when I'm interviewing women in particular, it's less, are they coming across as arrogant, but more, do they have enough self-confidence to say, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, right? Because that's what we really need in order to, to really build this. Well, let's talk about some of your biggest challenges or, or learning lessons. Uh, what have they been since launching the crew? Because I know running running startups is definitely not as glamorous as it looks on Instagram. And there's so many challenges and learning lessons that I like, I like to call them learning lessons <laughs> instead of mistakes that we go through each day. So what have been some of your challenges? I think initially some of my biggest challenges had to do with resources. So I, you know, I wanted to get this off the ground. I didn't have a lot of resources. And in fact, it was one of my crew members who really pushed me when it was taking me a while to launch on why haven't you launched yet? And I said, I, I kind of think I have an idea about how I could get this off the ground, but I don't have money to hire a team. 
that was my first kind of big challenge. And they were like, what? You're Tiffany Dufu. Like, there's all these people who want to help you. You've helped so many people. And really, I, I had to end up getting the crew off of the ground with a bunch of volunteers. Because my first big thing was, oh, now all these women have applied. Who's going to interview them? Well, I ended up having to recruit members of my own crew to spend the summer of 2018 interviewing all of these women. So kind of getting over the hurdle, initial hurdle of, I have to hire people to do this, to I need to ask for help. And I need to be vulnerable enough to ask someone, because it used to feel like an imposition, can they support me in this particular way? Uh, My second challenge had to do with resources again, but this time a bit of a first world problem, which was a lot of women were applying to the crew. I had already matched, this is like the fall of 2018, I've already matched the first 100, and I don't have any more resources to just keep onboarding more people and making that tough decision that... I'm going to need to capitalize this business in some other way. I'm not going to be able to just bootstrap this business and making the decision to raise venture and fundraising then became my biggest challenge after that. All right. So I want to hear about all of your lessons learned from fundraising. What do you know now from going through the fundraise process successfully that you wish you knew when you first started the fundraise? Well, I would say there's very little that I know now that I wish I hadn't have known then, because if I had have known that, I wouldn't have done it. Okay, I would have been like really intimidated. So it was actually a good thing that I didn't know. Um, One of the things that I didn't know, I'm glad I didn't know, was how the numbers were so against me. Uh, I'm an African-American woman. Oh, less than 1% of venture capital has gone to black female founders trying to raise venture capital for me as a black woman is like trying to put a little pin through, <laughs> you know, a needle. And so just that was challenging in terms of getting access to the right people, because I didn't understand in the very beginning that the ecosystem is very much driven by this idea of warm introductions. Now, There were some aspects of the process that were incredibly helpful to me that I would love people to know about. One is there is a podcast called The Pitch. It's a Gimlet podcast that I encourage every entrepreneur to listen to, particularly to binge listen to. It's a podcast in which there are three parts to every episode. The first is a real founder pitching to real investors, three or four of them. So you get to hear exactly what is said, exactly what questions are being asked of the founder and you hear their response. The second part of the episode is always the conversation that the investors have after the founder has left the room. They keep the tape rolling. I'm not sure how that works because I'm always like, okay, but every investor knows that this is going to air. So... (laughs) I'm always surprised at how transparent the investors are, but it's very helpful to hear how founders are spoken about after they leave the room. And then the third segment, they follow up with the founder and interview them some time after that meeting has happened. And I learned a number of things. One, not every investor who says I'm in is actually going to invest in your company, which is very helpful for me to know and understand during the fundraising process. Number two, the process very early on is very much biased toward likability and storytelling. This is in large part because at the early stages, you don't have a ton of data. You might not have a ton of traction. And at the end of the day, people need to feel like you're going to be able to pull this off. Uh, And a decline is largely tied to their belief (laughs) whether or not you're going to pull this off. So I encourage that podcast I am someone who has done a lot of things that I've never done before successfully, in part because I don't 
try to do anything by myself. So I would say a good eight weeks into the process, I realized, oh, you need a sponsor, just like you've had a sponsor for every other thing that you've done in your life, from writing a book to getting that public speaking practice off of the ground. And so I did spend some time, and I encourage every founder who wants to raise capital to really think about who is the profile of a sponsor that can support you and guide you through the process. For me, I was looking for a man who was likely to be white or Caucasian, who had some time on their hands because I was really going to need someone to usher me through the process, who was well-connected either as a founder themselves or as an operator at a company that had some name recognition. I just had like kind of a, a profile. You would have thought that I was looking for another husband, you know, for a couple of months there. And I just asked anyone who said, how can I help you or how can I support you? I would say, I'm looking for a profile of a person. And then I would tell them who this person was. I would describe them. I would say, do you know anybody who is like this? And eventually, I was invited to a dinner party and I asked the host, I'm looking for this person. Do you know anyone like this? And she said, yeah, there's this guy named Evan Cohen who I invited to be at the party. And he kind of fits like your whole profile. And I was like, if you sit me next to him at your event, I will be so grateful. And he became, Evan became my sponsor. He did two very important things. One is that he demystified the process. So every time I would go to a pitch meeting, probably for the first 10, I would come out of those meetings and I would call him right away. And he would say, what did they ask you? And I would say, this is what they asked me. And then he would say, okay, then what did you say? And I would tell him. And then he would say, don't ever say that again. Or, you know, that was a great answer. This is why. And then he would kind of give a synopsis. Definitely follow up with them. They're interested. Or I know they seem interested and you seem really excited, Tiffany, but they don't have any dry powder right now. They're actually really busy raising their next fund, so they're not going to invest right now. Don't spend too much time on that. So, so demystified the process, which is so helpful. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You need someone, if you've never done it before, to really be a guide for you in that way. And then he also made some key introductions. But I do want to share with everyone that the first VC to say I'm in for the crew was a man named Peter Rojas at Betaworks, who I have to give a shout out to, who I had no introduction to. I submitted my deck cold to the Betaworks site. I'm sure Peter caught the short stick that day. I, I can't even imagine what kind of decks <laughs> get submitted to, you know, their sites. And he reached out based on my deck and said, this looks really interesting. Can I talk to you? So it is possible uh, to raise venture without uh, knowing the person at the firm, but having someone who can help guide you the process is really important. Those are just a few, a few tips. There's a great book called Venture Deals that I encourage people to get that just kind of walks you through the process. Black Women Talk Tech was a great resource for me. All Raise was a wonderful resource for me in terms of community. The Female Founders Alliance uh, has been very helpful for me. So there are also some networks that were great. Uh, All Raise's boot camps. I did their seed boot camp and their series A boot camp. I wouldn't be as far as I've gotten without those. So take advantage of the resources. Digital Undivided has great content and resources. And now we have Entreprenista. Right? We have a community of other female founders and, and businesswomen who are building things that are changing the world. So take advantage of the crew you know, that Entreprenista has built uh, in order to support you in getting your venture off of the ground. 
Yes. Community is everything and reaching out and asking for help and so much incredible advice you just shared. And I did want to mention to our entrepreneurs who are thinking about raising money or who are currently raising money, you know, the advice you shared about having, you know, a sponsor, someone helping you through this process. Annie Evans, I don't know, Tiffany, if you know Annie Evans, she has a company called, do you know Annie? Yes. Yeah. So she has a company called Dream Ventures and she is like the, you know, wing woman for, for female founders who are raising money. And she saw this, you know, exact need in the marketplace. And so many women were coming to her needing help, you know, with their fundraise. And she had been through it before and had all the learning lessons and now had all of these connections. And we actually just recorded last Friday, an episode of the podcast with her actually, by the time this episode comes out. So for everyone who's listening to this episode right now, Annie's episode is, is already out and you can hear all about her story and journey launching Dream Ventures, but that's exactly what she does. She helps demystify the whole fundraising process and she's your wing woman throughout the throughout the entire process. And, and it's so important because I'm, you know, separately, I'm, I'm fundraising for another venture right now, the first time I've ever, you know, raised money and have been working with me and it needs extra support and someone to really guide you through the, the process. For so. sure. All right, Tiffany, this is a fun new segment we've been doing that we didn't tell you about in advance. We're going to do a few rapid fire questions. So the first it. thing that comes to your mind, and I know you're spontaneous, so this is right up your alley. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Describe yourself in three words. A catalyst for women and girls. I love that. If you could learn one new skill tonight, what would it be? How to sing, how to sound like Beyonce. Yes. And that leads into my next question. How did you know what song would you say best sums you up or defines you? Tina Turner. We don't need another hero. Ah. What is your most used emoji when you send a text? I don't use them. And my 12 year old daughter thinks that I don't text very well because <laughs> I don't, because I don't use enough emojis and I, <laughs> and I use periods, which she says is so not cool. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. What emojis does she want you to use? Anything. She's like, mom, what about a smiley face? You can do the <laughs> wink. You can like do LOL with like the tears. You could do hearts, mom. You have to, you have to put something in there. You can't just put a sentence with the period. That's so funny. All right, well, maybe after this, you'll, you'll start some, using some more emojis. <laughs> what is the app on your phone that you cannot live without? Spotify. Your favorite tech or business solution that's helped you in your business? Asana. Mm. Do you have a hidden talent? I'm a good sleep trainer of infants. That is a good talent. And let's have a debrief on that after we finish recording. <laughs> and finally, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? To be able to transport myself to any location without having to get on a plane, train, automobile. I just osmosis. I can be on the beach. Yes, that seems to be when every time we ask that question with entrepreneurs, like that has been the number one answer. Cause I think we all just want to do things faster and get places yes, faster. Yes, that's it. So yeah, we keep asking that question. That's pretty, it's, that's pretty much the number one answer. <laughs> all right, back to our, our regularly scheduled questions here. Tiffany, I would love to hear like, what does a typical day look like for you? And especially on days when you're not working. I work every day. I love my work, work and why I'm on the planet are the same thing. So I don't think of supporting women as work. Uh, so I would say I, I probably work every day. 
I am doing one of two things first thing in the morning. I'm either doing yoga or I'm lying in bed thinking about how I should be doing yoga. (laughs) That's pretty much how every day starts. I, I wake up. I have a little protein drink that I make sure that I consume before I get to my phone. So I don't, my, my phone is not allowed in my bedroom uh, when I'm sleeping. And then I just start, I turn on NPR. I start listening to the news. I start catching up on what is happening in the world that can inform what I'm supposed to be doing. And then it's either, you know, if it's not a weekday, I'm going to the grocery store, running some kind of errands for my family. If certainly if it's the weekend, I'm making scones or biscuits or pancakes or something for them, catching up with people in my life that I care about. I I do get on to email and Slack, uh, especially if there's anyone on my team, you know, who's working and who might need access to things. I definitely would spend time if it wasn't a work day, a formal work day, um, reading something. I'm obsessed with masterclasses, so I'd either be watching one of my masterclasses or I'd I'd be reading a book. Um, I really love coming into Monday with some kind of fresh Tiffany's epiphany about something that I've learned, something that I've grown. So that's that's what a typical day looks like. At the end of the day, I'm usually dancing, which is why Spotify was my favorite app until I get really tired. Uh, and all throughout all throughout this, there's like candles lit in whatever room that I'm in at the time. I love that. Yeah. Tell me more about like other things you do for self-care because I, I feel like, you know, with all of us running these businesses, it's so easy to just work, 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 and then hit burnout because sometimes we just forget to like physically and mentally take care of ourselves. So, so what do you do? Yes, I do a lot of things and they are daily practices habits. So the most important thing that I do is I have three different types of footwear. Uh, they're all basically slippers, but I had to implement this at the top of the pandemic. One is my founder and CEO of the crew slippers. When I have those on, my family knows she's the boss right now. Just like leave her alone. I have another pair of slippers that I'm wife and mom. When I have these slippers on, I'm all yours, whatever you need. And then I had to get a third pair, which is my Tiffany, me, myself, and I slippers. When I have these on, I'm just coming out to get myself a cup of tea. I'm going back to read my book. Like I'm not available. So that is definitely a practice that's helped me tremendously because I have two kids and and a husband. (laughs) Um, Another is I do spend quite a bit of time at the end of the day listening to music and dancing. It's always like, oh, just I'm supposed to listen to two songs, but then I end up like dancing to the whole Lemonade album. So a lot of my late night work is actually because I was dancing for an hour and a half. And then I realized, oh, my gosh, I better get back on Slack. I'm obsessed with candles. I literally will go through in about a week and a half. I can burn through an entire candle, especially lavender or mint. And there's this cream from Naturopathica. It's like this mint cream that I rub all over my hands at the end of the night, right before I go to bed. And I put my hands next to my pillow, you know, next to my head. And I just breathe in and out. And then, of course, there's my yoga. And I'm not one of those yogis. It's like, you know, yoga with Adrian videos yoga. That's awesome. I have to ask with your candles, do you have particular candles that you love, like a certain brand? It's funny that you say that. I get gifted. I think because I share with a lot of people that I love candles, I have an endless lifetime <laughs> supply of candles. That's so great. I, I, I haven't really gotten attached to one because I only have them because people are mailing them to me. They're sending them to me or they're giving them to me in gift bags. So they kind of switch in and out. 
All right. So now once this podcast is out, you might be getting some, some more candles in the mail. I'm, I'm all into, you know, scents and smells and just, you know, smelling things that really lift your mood, like essential oils and candles, like love that stuff. So. Yes. The one thing I'm always, I'm always confused about is when I go into people's homes, which I haven't done in a long time. And you like, there's a the candle that's dusty and it's like clear that like the candle is there, but it's just for show. I'm like, that is just sacrilegious to me. Just light it, light that thing. <laughs> light the candle, light the candle. Well, Tiffany, I know you have so much experience in building community and making connections. I would just love to hear more about what's next for the crew and really just the importance of having the right people around you as you're building your career or building a company. If there's one thing that I'd want someone to remember and take away from this, it's that your career journey, your entrepreneurial journey, your personal journey is not a solo endeavor. It's a team sport. I am here because so many people have invested in me throughout my own journey. They've included Gloria Steinem. They've included Sheryl Sandberg. They've included Gina Davis, Susan Taylor, who is still Essence Magazine to me. I wouldn't be here without them taking the time to open doors, to give feedback, to listen, and making sure that you have sponsorship, that you have mentorship, and more specifically, that you have a crew. It's really great to have fellow entrepreneurs uh, who are supporting you and helping you to realize your own intentions and ambitions it is so important. And if you have a group of people, the way that you know whether or not they're really going to be effective for you as a crew is to look for three things in the community. One is, do you have a sense of accountability with this group of people, meaning when you connect with them, you're a little nervous because you told them that you were going to do something and you're like, ooh, did I really like launch that new product? Did I really do it? If you feel a little nervous, that's great. It means they're holding your feet to the fire. The second is objectivity. Is this a group of people who care about you but are not so invested in your decisions that your decisions are going to impact them? If, as you're making decisions, you're worried about how it might impact your relationship with those people, they're not effective enough to be a really solid crew for you. And the third is diversity making sure that you have people that come from different backgrounds, that have different lenses, that are building companies in different verticals, I think is also really important to ensure your success. But most importantly, just making sure that you're not doing this by yourself. Tiffany, I feel like we could just talk for hours and hours right now. So I think we might have to do a, a follow-up LinkedIn Live and, and chat even more. But my final question today is, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Being an entrepreneurista to me means that I'm collaborating with other powerful women to help create change in the world that it's like we're all tethered to each other all climbing a mountain together, knowing that no one's going to completely go to the bottom because we're all connected to each other and we're going to support each other in reaching the summit. That's what it means to me to be an entrepreneurista. And it's why I feel really blessed to be a part of this community. So thank you, Stephanie. Well, thank you for all you do. And you are such an inspiration to women everywhere. Tiffany, where can everyone find you and follow you and learn more about the crew? 
Yes, I'm at T Dufu on every platform. I think I'm the only Tiffany Dufu in the world. Just like Google that and, and you will find me. And please, if you feel compelled and you feel like you need a crew, um, you can apply at thecrew.com and it's C-R-U. Thank you, Tiffany, for being here and sharing your incredible story. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.